Hi everyone, Mitch the Editor here. Really quick before we start, this episode is going to end a little abruptly. Tatiana and Tyler's internet unfortunately cut out early during recording. So next episode, episode 7, will be the season finale of the first story arc, A Ballad of Truth. That episode will be released in early April 2022. Thanks for understanding. Enjoy the show. friends, and welcome back to a troop of players in Actual Play Podcast. I am your GM, Chris McLean, and oh my goodness, I hope you are as excited as I am because this is it. This is the end of the first arc. We've made it, people. I, I'm i so proud of y'all. Thank you. Thank you for sticking this through. Oh my goodness. Mike, how are you feeling now that we're here after all this time? Standing here at the end of it all. I can't tell you what it really is. I can only tell you what it feels like, you know? <laughs> Yes, I, I do know. I do know, Mike. So, uh, <laughs> feels good. Feels good. Feels good. I'm glad to hear that. Tati, how are you feeling? I'm feeling good. You know, it took us a long time to get here, but here we are. We made it to the end of the first arc, and we can't wait for the next one. I, can I just say, I love that in that moment, your character and your, you as a performer were totally inverse to Mike because he was very boisterous for a second. And then you were like, yeah, no, it's very good. I'm, I'm really happy to be here. Like, it, was just, it, was just, it was a beautiful back and forth. But uh, Alex, we're here. It's the end of the first story arc. What, what's going through your head right now? How are you feeling? I'm so excited. <laughs> it's just been great. I don't know. I'm just having a good time. I'm glad. I'm glad you're having a good time. Tyler, are you having a good time too? Wait, 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 wait. Don't tell me. Don't tell me. Is it the friends we made along the way? Hey. <laughs> you got it. Did I get it? Did I nail it? Look, here's the thing. You will defeat the villain with the power of friendship and the guns you find. <laughs> Spoiler alert. What about the heart of the cards, though? What about the heart of the cards, Michael? <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I gotta relax. I gotta play out in the swipe. <laughs> Those of you not at the table, uh, you missed the smoldering erotic eye contact that Mike and I shared uh, as lifelong Yu-Gi-Oh rivals. It was palpable. <laughs> Anyways, hi Sharon, my wife. <laughs> hi, honey. Uh, hello. <laughs> We're here. Indeed, we are. End of I'm the first just... arc. Skeptical. Um, <laughs> knowing this party. Skeptical that we're going to get through the end in this uh, this episode. Because, you know, I feel like as, as a party, we have a way of steering the ship where we want it to go. So, well, see. speaking of steering ships, let's go on to the airship. So when we last left... Our brave, noble, intrepid, other positive adjective heroes. You had just defeated uh, notorious bounty hunter Zelda Blint, who was pursuing a contract on Gwen's head and was also trying to scoop up Cassandra, too, while she was at it. And she was very, very grumpy when she had to run away. Garrett and Lily were able to top off all of your medical and magical supplies. So you guys are fully loaded up, all that good stuff. And you are now 
back on the Scarlet Wren, heading towards the capital city of the Empire of Adraria, which is Plataea. And you are going to hopefully find the services of one Barnabas Glass, an old contact of Atlas White's. And you also got the name of two important members of the coven, Eric Vern and Oliver Ronan. Eric being a member of the aristocracy, Oliver leading a, a cell within the city. So with all that said and done, Dawn has just officially come. So the ship, you know, normally at nighttime, the ship is moored. So monsters don't come in to get it. But the ship is finally beginning to take off. And it's, you know, so it's it's first thing in the morning. Ship is just getting in the air and you guys won't get there until this afternoon is when you'll finally arrive. So, Travis, I imagine you're you're in the engine room making sure that the whole thing levitates smoothly. Are you banging on the pipes and singing about how that's the Evans way? <laughs> I mean, naturally. What, what else would I be doing? I don't know, buddy. Sleeping? I think not. <laughs> No, I'm I'm banging on those pipes uh, better than uh, more more so than ever. All right. <laughs> is anyone banging those pipes with him? Uh, Atlas is down there. Hey, hey, you can watch. Yeah, no, yeah, he's no legit. Like Atlas is like smoking a cigarette, like in the doorway, like well, looking down. This is an art, okay? Not everyone can can do this. Okay, <laughs> this is the equivalent of a small child holding a flashlight for their father. Do you understand? <laughs> oh, yeah. And I'm like, you should bang on that one now. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, okay, college boy. And you, yeah. But you actually but you actually have to bang on it. So you're like, fuck you. Bing. <laughs> oh, man. So where is everybody else? Suri obviously is at the wheel. As soon as the sun started rising, she was like, we're up. Let's go. <laughs> where are Suri and Gwen? I'm I'm sorry, Cassandra and Gwen. Cassandra is staring at the ceiling from her hammock. She's not doing too hot. Oh. I forgot. Oh, poor baby. Poor thing. Now the weight of murder is really sinking in. Baby's first murder. (laughs) So proud, but also so sad for you. Oh, man. Gwen is staring at the note. Still trying to figure out what's going on here. She's more upset at her dad than she was before, if that was even possible. Because mm. um, it just confirms that he's out there trying to get her back and there's no way that she's going to do that. So she's looking at the note, trying to see if she can f- decipher it, figure out who the missing people and the missing pieces are in that. Mm. Um, and she's just reading it over and over to herself, torturing herself. Like, is there something I missed? Has she thought about assassinating him? <laughs> she has considered it. Wow, Cassandra, you <laughs> went from no murder to yes murder very quickly. I mean, that was Sharon. Are, are you not doing that... too hot because it's all you want to do now and you have to wrestle with that? <laughs> I, believe, I believe she woke up this morning and said, I choose violence. <laughs> Which, I mean, we know Gwen does that every day. So. That, that question came from Sharon, not Cassandra. Don't worry. <laughs> that was just like a tactical thing. Mm, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, hmm. Yeah, Gwen has considered it, not gonna lie. Um, (laughs) But first of all, that would just be really hard to do. Mm. You know, what a hassle. But 
So yeah, she's just sitting there reading, and I think she's near Cassandra, but not necessarily like talking to her. Yeah. Um, I think she knows that Cassandra's really down and just doesn't really know how to how to help her, how to console her in this moment, because she knows that nothing that she says is going to make Cassandra feel better about what she did. Mm. So Gwen's just sort of letting her sit in misery as Gwen sits there in misery, staring at the sound. <laughs> misery loves company. Yeah. <laughs> so while you're looking at the letter Gwen, out of nowhere, the brand on the back of your neck, you feel an icicle just shoves through it, just a cold, cold, stabbing pain right in the back of your neck. And as you let out a very sharp gasp, just a (gasps) of an inhale when you feel the pressure, all of a sudden you're in a very, very comfortable armchair. And there is a record player on a table not far from you. And in a chair across from you is the man with the violet eyes. And his chair, your chair, and the record player are hovering above the ocean. And fun. And he smiles at you and he says, Guinevere Godwin, we hope this is an appropriate time to see you. Is it ever an appropriate time? What are you doing here? He smiles a little bit and you notice his face is a little different this time. Before it was a little too constructed, too artificial. And now he looks more normal. He looks more like someone you would see maybe a boxer, someone who's had their face like routinely, like bits of it have been broken, nose been broken, stuff like that. And there's almost mm-hmm. almost like a rugged handsomeness to it if it wasn't for the fact that he was, his skin is unnaturally white, like not even corpse white, just like white, 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 drywall white. Mm. And his eyes are just chips of opal. They're just that piercing violet. And he smiles and it looks like a person smiling. And he smiles and he says... I suppose the most inappropriate time would be if you were in combat. Gwen sits there trying to make out his face now that she has more detail. Mm. And just, you know, as perplexed as usual, trying to figure out why this is happening. Mm. And she just says, hold on a second. Do I know you from somewhere from before you did this to me? He tilts his head and considers it for a second, and he says, Our methods of communication are limited. However, we construct what we think we may appear from your memory. We are a amalgam of many men you have known. Oh, okay. So Gwen thinks about that for a second. This is new to her, this kind of magic. Mm. And she understands a little bit because somehow the figure does feel familiar, but completely foreign at the same time. Mm-hmm. And she says, okay, so you have me here. What do you want from me in this moment right now? Since you won't tell me this big plan that you have for me. What do you want right now? It is not that we do not want you to know. It is that we are limited in our communication to fully explain the planet once would damage you. 
What does that mean? I don't understand. <sighs> you are limited. And very briefly, he, you see, he reaches out. You're still across from each other. And he reaches out two fingers, like pointing them towards you. And all of a sudden, in an instant, you completely comprehend all of human history. Every living thing, every thought, every person who has ever lived or ever died, that understanding encompasses you for a full second, but it may as well have been an eternity. Ow. And it latches onto you, and then it breaks, and you're back over the ocean, and he says, you would not survive longer than that, thus we are limited, for you are limited. We do not wish to damage our instrument, Guinevere Godwin. She's rubbing her head. It really freaking hurts. Yeah. <laughs> and she's just like, then why did you call me here right now? If you can't show me, if you can't tell me, if you can't give me all of that information, why am I here? To learn, Gwen. To learn. But first we must ask, did you ask the White of Leviathan? I did. What did he say? I don't know, not, nothing much more than what he taught me when I was a child. I just, I still don't understand how it's connected to everything. I mean, I don't know. And he, he, he looks a little disappointed. <laughs> and uh, he, he folds, so sorry. Yeah. <laughs> he crosses, he crosses his legs and he folds his hands in his lap. And he, he thinks for a moment and he says... You have become accustomed to manipulating magic in the form of life within yourself, within others, and your connection to it. The power that we would grant you would be to manipulate the absence of life, not death. For death is something that was alive and is now not. We would not teach you that. We would teach you absence, void. In the same way there is no life in space, there is no death either. We would teach you to twist the fabric of reality. That's not possible. There... no, that's not possible. There's no way. Correct for you and he he lifts his two fingers again and he he kind of rotates them towards himself and makes like a come here gesture and all of a sudden your chair rushes towards him and stops a few feet in front of him and he says give us your dominant hand oh god i just she can't help it she's intrigued like it's just, it just sounds impossible <laughs> she her curiosity, her love of power. Okay, she, Gwen offers her hand. So you offer your hand and he reaches out his two fingers and when he touches your skin, it's unexpectedly pleasant. Like in, in your brain, it registers as like someone who you're really, like maybe Cassandra, someone who you're really close friends with, who you trust, brushes against your hand accidentally kind of thing. Like 
maybe not expected, but certainly not unpleasant or uncomfortable, which in and of itself is unpleasant and uncomfortable because you do not know this entity. (laughs) Yeah, that's scary. (laughs) He draws his two fingers from your wrist to your knuckles. And as he does, you see that there is a tattoo that appears and it is the same mark as his brand. And then he pulls it away and uh, he smiles and you see the mark glows the same violet as his eyes. And he says, in your most desperate hour, think of us and we will offer the first demonstration. For now, our power is limited, but remember this, Gwen. Leviathan is rising. You must prevent the rising. And then, boom, you're back in your bunk. And so far as you can tell, no time has passed in any capacity. Okay. And, like, it's basically the equivalent when you went, and then your head is still facing the conjunction of coming up. And you look down at your hand, and you see the tattoo is fading. So it was definitely there. But now it's gone. Just gone. I look over at Cassandra to see if she is suspicious (laughs) that something has happened. Did you gasp out loud? Yeah, she gasped when the pain in her neck activated. Okay. Okay. So yeah, Cassandra definitely has looked over and, you know, in that split second, just, you know, asked, is she okay? Um, Yeah. And then Gwen's just like, yeah, I thought I felt something... I don't know. I just feel weird. Um, excuse me. And she runs to the bathroom and shuts the door. What passes for a bathroom on the Scarlet Run? <laughs> the WC, the water closet. It's a corner with a sheet around it, all right? The corner? <laughs> I think it's called the head. I'm pretty sure that's the ship term. Yeah. And she's just going to take a second. Yeah, that's reasonable. Cassandra is yet again reminded of her failure to heal. <laughs> <laughs> How could this happen to me? Honestly, though. <laughs> oh, man. Does anyone have anything else they would like to do in the scene? No, thank you. All right, cool. So we're going to cut to your beginning, your arrival to Platea. I'm sweating. And the first thing you see, before you even can really, really see the city on the horizon, is you start to see people. It starts as a trickle trying, you know, moving in the direction of the city. And then you see there's more and more and more. And you're going for half an hour, an hour, and there's just still people. And you begin to realize it's the line to enter the city gates. So many people have been displaced because the ocean is rising and they're all trying to get into the capital. Now, fortunately... Not going to be a problem for y'all because this is a smuggler ship. And as a smuggler ship, you guys are going to have secret places that you can dock, secret permits. Like you, you dock on the shady side of the town and you're like, yeah, we're totally the transport ship, Mary Jane or whatever, right? Yeah. <laughs> Nothing but teddy bears here, officer. Yeah. <laughs> for the emperor. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. So you're... uh. You're beginning to come into Platea and you see the the river of people. 
What are your feelings? What are your feelings as you're seeing this vast swath of humanity? Forgive my ignorance. Plataea is where in the world again? Northwest-ish. It's the capital city of the empire. I think Suri is feeling very frustrated mm. at the state of things. I think as she's, you know, as she's piling the ship to their little smuggler's bay, she's just so appalled at the absolute disaster that is their time. And this is where Cassandra and Suri are from, right? Gwen. Cassandra Gwen. and Gwen. Yeah. Well, Gwen is from here. Atlas lived here. Cassandra is from Illuminaria. But they... It's close by. This is where you picked them up. This is where your journey began. Hmm. So obviously, Gwen is nervous. Yeah. <laughs> um, considering For lots that, of reasons. <laughs> you know, yeah, her dad just sent freaking Zelda out to find her and she managed to slip away. And now she's stepping right on the front door of her hometown. <laughs> so she is pretty scared. I guess like the line of people really sucks and I, I feel for those guys, but I, I guess I'm, mm -hmm. I'm more concerned about like whether more assassins are going to be in this area, if we're going to be expecting any confrontation mm. uh, when we land, if we're expected, you know, I'm sure there ha must have been some communication between whoever sent Zelda like, after us and, you know, what what had transpired. So mm. I don't know. I think we just got to stay on our toes. Stay on your toes, people people. At first, I think Cassandra is somewhat disheartened seeing the refugees. Mm. You know, again, just a reminder of like, hey, you see all these really poor, downtrodden people? You're supposed to save them. And then there is a reminder of the teacher that this means she's in the right place. And it, it transforms from a sadness into a bit of an anger and then into determination of these are the people that I am here to save. And that is why I am here now to do my duty and get this shit done. That feels, yeah. Do you mind taking it a little easy on yourself? <laughs> I was about to say, like, geez, the crushing weight of responsibility is just constantly. Yeah, yeah. No wonder you're so quiet all the time. <laughs> Listen, Suri wants to get Cassandra drunk. <laughs> That's, the That's the plan. Oh god. Yes. Let her have a night. Oh yes. <laughs> she just she needs a fucking night off, man. Oh god, yes. Mike, how's Atlas feeling? You know, the funny thing about studying history is you see the same shit over and over. Mm. And so it's just kind of like one of those this was doomed to happen. I, this is a doomed, mm. you know, situation. My heart goes out for these people, and you know, it's kind of like this is the city, bro. This, and like, there's a hope in that too. That it's cyclical, and so you know, yeah. this is the down part. That that means there's going to be an up part again. But you also get to see Barnabas Glass. Uh, uh <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do. <laughs> oh man, you come into dock, and the docking stuff goes pretty normally, all things considered. You and the dock official sort of like. Yeah, you're totally on the level and you're like, of course I'm on the level and you're definitely not bribed. Mm. As I toss him a bag of, of Zenit. Yeah. <laughs> and before before you head out, sorry, he does like raise a hand. It's like, uh, Captain, a word, if I may. And uh, kind of pulls you aside and says, um, listen, you did good by my family a while back getting us some of that medical supplies. So I'm going to tell you this now so that it doesn't come back to haunt my conscience later. 
you and Travis and the Wren are very, very wanted right now. And they're saying you kidnapped the speaker. Did, did you kidnap the speaker? Cassandra just walks off the ship behind her. <laughs> <laughs> and she goes, listen, listen, listen. First of all, thank you so much for telling me we did not kidnap the speaker. We're working we're working with the speaker. We're not. I didn't steal a child. I promise you, I don't steal children. Okay. Well, I didn't think you stole children. That's why I was so perplexed. But I know. Don't tell Sam right now. It's fine. Your faces are on the papers. Shut your mouth. No. We're done. <laughs> there is nothing going on. We are friends. <laughs> I am working with her. I appreciate your kindness. Please don't sell me out. <laughs> and he goes, "Sorry. You know I would never do that. But you need to be careful." Everyone recognizes your faces. And he hands you, he hands you like a newspaper and your face, Travis's face, Gwen's face, and Cassandra's face are all on it. Atlas isn't there. <laughs> so I, I quickly like look at the newspaper, rip it up and throw my hood over and I go, they'll never catch me. <laughs> right before you go I, I look over my shoulder to see like there's hubbub and commotion and I walk over. What's this guy's name? Percival, we just decided. I go, Jerry, pat <laughs> him on the back. <laughs> I go, good to see you, buddy. What's uh, what's all the commotion, huh? I thought I, I thought we, there was no trouble. He kind of clears his throat, and he points down, and on the ground with you see your face in the newspaper, and there's the fragments of the ripped up word wanted. So it just looks like wante. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I look it down. I look at him. And then, like, I pull up my, like, little bandana over my face and I go, another day in the office. And I give him a wink. <laughs> and then I also, I toss him a few more coins for, like, his trouble because we're a little hot right now. So mm. He appreciates the Zed. Gwen picks up um, her face from the ground and <laughs> just goes, so, um, I'm guessing it's a cloak day today? <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. yes. Awesome. I guess, like, I gather, uh, or I try to round up just the whole crew uh, with the captain, and I just sort of like, okay, we have to be extra careful. We are clearly uh, very wanted individuals, and an assassin was sent after us, so we we just have to make sure that none of us are doing anything crazy. You follow? Suri's looking at the photo again, just goes, God, they got my face wrong. <laughs> <laughs> And then I start to like out of like my little pouches and like my cargo pants, I take out like all these like dirty cloths and rags that I used to wipe things down. I go, put these over your faces quick. (laughs) Question. Yes. Can Atlas like make a disguisey thing? A glamour? Like, yeah, with like rune magic, like symbolist magic. Is that a, would that be? So here's the thing. Unfortunately, no. Mask is an arcana spell. Let me put it like this. He would be able to disguise something that isn't moving. Let me put it like this. He would have to, you would have to wear a bag over your head and then he could put mask over it so it could like be something else. Or like he could, for example, like hide traces of a fire that he had made, but you people are living and also moving. And so his rune magic is limited in that capacity. Okay. Never mind then. I thought I had a good idea. It <laughs> is a good idea. And to be fair, Atlas is the only one who doesn't have to hide his face. True. Damn. Lucky bastard. What story can we have here of 
Atlas just being out in the open, but a bunch of hooded figures follow him everywhere. <laughs> what does that look like? We're his students. Everyone start coughing and say that we are sick and that he's leading us somewhere to where we can quarantine. <laughs> the doctor? I like that. <laughs> Atlas is a teacher. We're his students. Hmm. And all of us are very sick, so we have to cover our faces so other people don't get sick, right? Yeah, you should cover your face when you're sick and going outside. <laughs> that is a thing oh my God. that many people oh my should God. do. <laughs> Great idea, Tyler and also <laughs> Travis. Do we have anything other than like, you know what? Wait a second. I don't have to have magic to have like a handkerchief in my pocket, right? No, you do not. Okay. You can have a hanky. I'm going to pull out some embroidered hanky and... You know, the teacher believes in learning all sorts of things, including including the needlework crafts. So, Are you refusing my dirty rag? That's outrageously rude. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cassandra's got like a little hanky with like a slightly poorly embroidered flower on it. Um, it's a little, it's got like six petals when it was supposed to have five and like a few too many leaves as well. But she's going to use that hanky just to, to pretend to cough into. I look at you very disapprovingly. <laughs> <laughs> so you have your disguises. Who do you want to go see? You've got three people on your list. I would like to go see Barnabas Glass. Yeah, me too. Because that man can get us better disguises. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I suggest that we all, I, we all stick together in case, you know, shit hits the fan. You're in the smugglers docks, basically, but it's also where all the poor people dock. Don't tell anyone. It's totally known. So Plataea is a city that is built into a plateau, a mesa, excuse me. It's built into a mesa and it is four levels within the city with economic status getting higher and higher, the higher up you go, with the Richie Riches, a.k.a. where Gwen grew up, are in literal flying palaces. That's where the emperor lives, is in a giant palace that's suspended by Gaiasite. A bunch of rich housings, parliament is housed there, all of that stuff. So literally not even touching the ground. And y'all are on the second level. Barnabas lives on level four because he is a member, he's the head of a college here. So he is very, very well to do. But he is also, you know, he knows where he came from. So, you know. Level four is the very top of the mesa Correct. before the flying stuff? Correct. Okay. Mm -hmm. It's the penultimate penthouse, so to speak. Okay. It's on top of the mesa. Got yes. It. So, yeah, you guys are going to be... So you're heading up there, and as you're moving through the streets, it's not good. Like, even in the time since y'all have left and come back to the city, it is crowded. Like crowded people are sick they're dirty there are people just crying for most of where you are there's not even a lot of people doing business if anything it looks like the city has just been completely overrun by refugees and then literally as soon as you go over to the third level you see there are police blockades just barricades preventing people 
from even going through. Like, you guys take smugglers' routes, so you're fine. And even that has its own level of protection with, like, buff goons and stuff, you know, preventing people from going. But it is very clear there is a very, very harsh divide of you do not belong here. I look over at Gwen, just trying to piece it all together, because I don't frequent, like, this area very often. And I go, is this, like, normal? It's been like this as long as I can remember. I never understood why until, well, until I started to realize exactly the kind of business my father was doing. People like him don't care about people like them. After she says that, as Suri's looking around at everyone and getting progressively angrier, and she whispers back to Cassandra and she's like, is this in your teacher's plans? Leaving them like this? Suri is furious at this point. Damn, I don't even have anything to add to that. Yikes. How does Cassandra feel about that? Gwen's eyes, like, get huge, and she just looks over at Cassandra, like, scared. So, Cassandra is going through an interesting period with everything. It's called puberty. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's what it is. Um, No, she, she has never been in a position before where she has been unable to heal every single person because as a healer, her life has been her teachers present her with someone to heal and she heals them. And they are the ones deciding who gets healed and she is simply their instrument. And so this is the first time where she has to decide how much energy to output into healing people and recognizing that... There is not a way that technically, yes, she probably could set up shop and start healing people, but that wouldn't solve the problem of shit, the water levels rose a bunch and then stopped rising. So she's starting to look a bit at the bigger picture at this point, possibly in an act of self-preservation, if nothing else. And... She has a lot of questions for the teacher when she is alone and able to commune. So she doesn't say anything to Suri. She just keeps her head down and pretends to cough. In response to Gwen, I just say, like, I guess it's really no different no matter where you go. Let's keep moving. So you make it through the third level. And as you get up to the fourth level, it's beautiful. Just staggeringly beautiful there are maintained gardens beautiful lush verdant gardens fruit trees and hedge mazes and just incredibly beautiful as you're going the streets are paved in beautiful marble as you're moving around there's flowers and it smells just wonderful it's like the first moment that comes into your mind when you think of spring That is what it smells like. And it's just alive. And you notice that a lot of people have started looking at you very unfavorably, simply because of how dirty you are. I hock a big old loogie. (laughs) Humongous. The biggest snort, the biggest spit. And I just like sort of look at everybody and keep walking. For the sake of our audience, I'm not going to have you roleplay that. Um, (laughs) No, that's fine. Gwen giggles. (laughs) Gwen's like, hee hee, passive rebellion. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, goodness. But yeah, you keep going. And Atlas, you're leading the way at this point because you know 
where the college is and stuff, and you make it there, and it is a vast stone building. And what's interesting is that this is the only building on level four that is made of the same stone as the rest of the mesa. So it's the, it is made from the stone that this was built from. Everything else has had stone brought here. This is the only one that is made from stone that was here. And it is incredible. Like, it, it is one of the most beautiful things you've ever seen in your life. I, Travis and Suri, neither of you have ever seen this building before, and especially not in this detail. And it is awe-inspiring. Like, this was, this isn't just a work of art. This is the work of art of several masters of the craft who all considered this their magnum opus. It is just, and it has four beautiful towers that are coming up, and the the stone is so intricately carved that at some points it is translucent. And as you come to the door, there is a man who is waiting by the door, and he is wearing uh, the same scholarly robes that Atlas wears. You see kind of like, <clears throat> like he was sitting, and he kind of <clears throat> gets up, and he moves over, and he looks... Atlas up and down, and he just says, you look like shit. And then he, get, he lets out a huge laugh, and he pulls you into a big hug. As I'm being crushed by the inevitable heft of this man, <laughs> I do say, uh, well, you know, I uh, take after you, so. He pulls back, and he just goes, <laughs> and he claps you on the cheek, and he goes, Barnabas is waiting for you. Get in there, you scoundrel. And I say, thank you. and. As we're walking through to, like, the next place, I turn around to everyone. I say, get ready. They're all like this. <laughs> <laughs> so you're coming through, and while you would expect something that is this beautiful and this ornate, you would kind of expect it to have a bit of, like, a, a quiet, somber atmosphere, and you go in. It's not like that at all. It is alive. And there are everything you can imagine. There are magical experiments that are going on, flashes of gold and blue and crimson. As people are doing light shows, you see that there are people conjuring monsters, not blighted, but creatures that you haven't really seen or heard of before, like crabs with wings and weird things you can't really properly describe because it's going by so quickly. And you hear people arguing and you hear people arguing in the way that best friends argue about shit that they are very passionate about but ultimately doesn't matter but then you hear the mean arguing you hear like very unkind things like being said about each other parliamentary arguing mm -hmm. yeah I, I don't know what that is oh, dude you gotta watch some videos <laughs> of parliament it's okay. hilarious but academic they're academically arguing and so eventually they go back and forth and like it's it's almost it's almost like a frat house combined with a carnival like this is this, whatever you were expecting it probably wasn't this uh but as you're going through and then a couple of people are just like hey do you see alice is back yeah over there they're back i didn't expect to see them this soon ah shit <laughs> and it's just like hey alice what's up man <laughs> like they're just really excited to see you of course, uh, I see all my old students, some of my quote-unquote current students, mm -hmm. and uh, of course I give them the handshake that only the archaeologists know. <laughs> Are you telling me Atlas has been cool this whole time? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Atlas hasn't just been cool. 
He's been famous. Bro. <laughs> My mind is being blown as to just how cool this guy is in this setting. Because I think I think you're a big old nerd. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm a big old nerd too, so that's fine. It's just we're nerdy about different stuff. You're like a nerd who fucks. He's like a nerd. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I'm like, what? Like, who is this man? Oh, he was the coolest teacher growing up. Like, everybody yeah. wanted to be in his class. <laughs> and a couple of them were even student students, like apprentices under him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a handful of these. I've got on quite a few expedition with all of, all of these people. So, yeah, it's great. It's great to be back. And the man you're going to meet is his peer, but also, in a lot of ways, his mentor. Yeah. And so you go to an office. On the outside, the least ostentatious out of all the others, each office door is defined by what they are studying. So if someone's a biologist, you'll see there will be like intricate, magical menageries of like a tiny jungle that is coding their doorframe. If they are musicians, there are tiny instruments that are playing themselves and hovering around. Or if they're, you know, just all kinds of stuff, depending on their thing. It's like the Encanto house. (laughs) (laughs) Real talk. At this point, I have not seen Encanto. I've heard it's great. But uh, you get to Glass's door and there's nothing. It's just a door. So... He studies door frames? <laughs> I put my hand on the doorknob and I let out a really deep sigh. <laughs> like I'm a circus clown about to do a birthday party for five-year-olds. <laughs> <laughs> and I open the door. <laughs> so you open the door and it smells like a bakery. It just freshly braked, uh, braked bed, uh, freshly, <laughs> freshly baked, baked bread and of broken the, bread. <laughs> it's part of his class. There are both. Um, <laughs> no, but it is. There is just this amazing smell of bread and butter and honey and sugar, and it's wonderful. And as you're going in. There's a TARDIS effect going on. The office is a lot larger than it has any right to be. It has two floors. And uh, as you're coming through here, you're coming through the the hallway and you see there are framed diplomas and photographs and paintings. And in the diplomas, you see there are doctorates in archaeology, history, languages, you know, fencing. He's got a PhD in fencing. You can get a PhD in this here. He's Dr. Swordfighter. <laughs> like, he's got <laughs> everything on these walls. And these photos are him, you know, they're shaking hands with politicians. You see, in one of them, he's shaking hands with J.D. Pierce III, whom we saw Zelda Blint execute. And in one, he's even shaking hands with, he's much younger, but he's shaking hands with the emperor before the one who is currently sitting on the throne. And then in quite a few of these photos, Atlas is also there. And it's them in ruins. It's them looking at bones. A lot of them are right as the photo is being taken. Atlas is being pranked. Like he's getting wedgied or like food is getting dumped on his head. I'm very much looking around at them. And uh, there's one that I point out and I'm like, oh, this is the good one. (laughs) And it's like, you can see that he's like taking the picture over me. And there's like a plant that has like, a green mist coming out of it, and I'm just knocked out on the floor. <laughs> so he looks at Atlas and goes, 
Is this your best friend? Do you have a best friend? What's going on? I'm cool, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) Barnabas, come tell everyone how cool I am. And then you hear like a like pots and pans are going and he's just like, do my ears deceive me or is that Atlas White I hear in my office? No, it's the police. (laughs) and he laughs and he said you know you'd be a dead man and he goes around the corner (laughs) and he is enormous Barnabas comes out and he's like aha bully and he's seven feet eight inches tall built to match the dude is a brick shit house he looks like he could pick up any one of you and rip you apart with his bare hands or he could suffocate you by hugging you he's got a huge bushy white walrus mustache that covers the rest of his mouth and when he talks it looks like the mustache is moving (laughs) Um, like a cartoon yes he's dressed remember we are in an anime he's dressed in the scholarly robes but his are red and you see that he is the headmaster he is the headmaster of the college and he has a single gold monocle and when he sees Atlas he lets out this huge rolling almost Santa Claus laugh and the monocle pops and he rushes forward and he scoops up Atlas in a big 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 hug (laughs) I'm like, oh man, boss, they finally got you running the place. And he said, uh, well, there was some reason they had to keep me from going into all of those ruins without you. We both know it's not nearly as fun if you're not pulling my ass out of some fire. (laughs) And I turned to Travis and I'm like, what he won't tell you is that he's the one who started the fire. (laughs) (laughs) And then he, he hugs you in such a way that you're muffled against his chest. And he goes, no need to tell everyone of my pyrotechnic tendencies, my lad. <laughs> and he, he drops you down and uh, he he's just like, of course, uh, where are my matters? He takes on a slightly more serious and somber tone, but you see his eyes are very much twinkly. And he's just like, welcome. My name is Dr. Barnabas Glass and you are standing in my school and in my office. <laughs> I go, Atlas, Atlas, don't be rude. Come on. <laughs> uh, oh, uh, right. I'm Atlas. Uh, you hired me uh, <laughs> 10 years ago and then again five years ago. And uh, these are my friends. <laughs> and we are in your school and in your office. <laughs> and he, he looks at Travis and he looks at you and it's kind of an evaluating look. And he looks up and down and he goes, Are you a gammon? I'm like, I'm like so flustered. I'm like, cause this guy, okay. Cause like, cause like this guy's super smart and I really like super smart people. And the fact that he knew what I did is really cool. So I'm like, yes, yes I am. And he, he points at your scarf that had been around your face. And he's just like, the distinctive coloring of the grease there shows that the discharge of a Ganectajink that was overly pressurized. Am I incorrect? No, I mean, I, the the Geschnichterschnink and the fist plug, <laughs> this is my wiping rag. That's exactly oh correct. <laughs> and he goes, ah, <laughs> I knew it. Glad to know, even though I've not been on an airship in some time, they still work the bloody same. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, of course, his captain, the one who's been flying us all around, uh, Captain Surrey, Serial Hawk. <laughs> he does a big bow and he like very much swipes low and he goes charmed captain and then he kisses your hand <laughs> sorry he goes 
<laughs> no words, girl. She's straight to <laughs> She's very flustered. Does Suri like tall guys? <laughs> Suri is so flustered by this ginormous man in this entire situation that she's just standing there with her hand out like, ha, ha. <laughs> he kind of laughs and he's got these huge hands and he kind of like claps you on the shoulder and he's like, ha, ha. And then he looks over and he sees Gwen and he kind of narrows his eyes and he goes, Atlas, is this your student? Well, not anymore. Uh, see, uh, it's only in uh, hours between five and six. And uh... <laughs> Then what in the bloody hell is she not doing at this school? <laughs> Any pupil of yours is guaranteed entrance into this academy. What the bloody hell are you having them do running around on airships instead of learning at the <laughs> finest conservatory of institution? Uh, uh, no offense to the airship, of course. <laughs> Gwen pulls her hood down and goes, yes, but you see, that's what my father would have wanted, so we can't have that. <laughs> he freezes for a second, and he just goes, oh. And there's a moment, and you see today's paper is a little bit beyond him. <laughs> a couple of pieces get put together. He looks at Cassandra, and he kind of very gently kind of reaches out and like, lifts her hood and he steps back as though he was shocked like electrically like <gasps> and then he kneels to Cassandra oh silence just kneels uh. <laughs> <laughs> Cassandra is a wee bit used to this and is much less flustered than I am and just simply says hello I'm Cassandra, and yes, I'm the speaker, and I'd like to thank you on behalf of the entire Hallowed Academy for your service of discovering knowledge and committing your life to teaching others. He looks like he's about to fucking sob. Aww. <laughs> like, he is, like, because you need to understand, the church is the reason he has any of this, because the church funds the school. And he is a devout learner. Like, the pursuit of knowledge and truth is his entire reason for being. And he's just like, yes. Thank you. I'll get you some tea. And then he just gets up and, like, kind of bustles over. And you hear he's crying in the background. Like, oh, my God. Oh, God, bless you, teacher. Oh, bless you, teacher. Bless this day. Oh. I look at everyone and I go, I'm never really going to get quite used to that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you will. Because <laughs> um, just sort of calls after him and just says, so I've seen you've got the paper. Uh, I'd like to clarify we've not been kidnapped. We are here by our own free will and we'd really appreciate it if you didn't call the police. And from the kitchen he goes, oh, I knew the moment Atlas was the one leading you and that wasn't the case. Sorry from the back goes, I don't steal children. I promise I don't. <laughs> <laughs> and from the kiss you just hear, ha ha. <laughs> Barnabas, you know, this is all great fun and games, but as you can imagine, we're kind of here for, for a little bit of business. I uh, take out my backpack and I start rifling through it and get the journal. And I say, uh, it's written in some encoded language. We got a connection through... Um, a vision from Cassandra, but can't read it. Want to take a look? 
You still can't see him. There's still a hustle and a bustle in the kitchen. And he goes, yes, but tea first. Oh. And, <laughs> uh, I think that Cassandra's probably like not decoded it, obviously, but translated it, whether that's in the actual text itself mm -hmm. or she's written in the journal or if she's written it on another piece of paper that's stuck in the journal that Atlas has. But she's made it so that he doesn't have to stare at a language that's been dead for millions Thousands, who knows? A long time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A dead language. You know, like fully dead language, yeah. Yeah. So eventually he sets out a full breakfast for you. Full breakfast. It is in brunch. it is in it is a brunch. Uh but he's got it's eggs and sausage and fruit salad and fresh baked bread and scones. And it's just it's an incredible in, in, the best food you've seen since you left Ernie and Reggie's. And even then, better than that. So Barnabas brings out five teapots. He sets them out and he looks at all of you and starting with Atlas and he's just like, what tea would you like, my friend? Uh, a matcha? He raises an eyebrow and uh, he closes his eyes and you see there's, with two fingers, he traces a circle in the air around the teapot and uh, blue runes shoot up where his finger moves, and he just goes, Shazubi! And then all of a sudden... <laughs> I literally, like, recoil back. <laughs> he sees that you do that, and he looks at you, and he goes, don't worry, it's only magic. And then he pours Atlas a uh, cup of tea, and uh, he says, would anyone care for something other than matcha? Perhaps something stronger? He raises an eyebrow, and he goes... I can do whiskey or brandy. <laughs> Just surprise me. And he raises an eyebrow and he goes, uh-huh, uh-huh. So he raises her hand too and goes, uh, me as well, please. He raises an eyebrow at you too and he goes, uh -huh, and two fingers and they go over two separate teapots and then he goes, Chazubi! <laughs> I recoil again. <laughs> and he says, again, don't be concerned. It's only magic. And then <laughs> he pours both of you this beautiful amber liquid. And Tyler, yours is slightly lighter than Surrey's. He hands them to you and it's it's good. It's good. Surrey, you have the whiskey and uh, Travis, you have the brandy. And they're both very good. They're not a sipping brandy, but this is a this is an early whiskey spell. He learned this before he knew how to properly create like good alcohol. So this is like, yeah, it tastes fine. I could probably pound back 12 of these. Mm -hmm. I, I drink it and I'm like, I nod at him. And then I take out a little file from like one of my cargo pockets with a little eyedropper. And I just like drop something in it and I put it back in my pocket and I go, Evan's special. And I, <laughs> and I, I drink it. <laughs> His eyes are positively fucking twinkling. And uh, he raises his own teacup, which he already had. And he, he winks at you and he goes, Shazubi. Shazubi. <laughs> <laughs> I want shirts that say Shazubi. Uh, um, look for merch on our no, merch. Don't. <laughs> you can't plug a store that doesn't exist yet. Oh my God. Yet being the keyword. Anyway. But you can see he's kind of getting like a little like flustered. And he's just like, what sort of, that's just to say, pardon me, what sort of tea could I offer you, Mr. Speaker? Mr. Speaker. <laughs> Mr. Speaker. 
and then he realizes what he says, and he turns red, like absolutely blush, and he's like, oh god, no. Cassandra is just going to like play it super cool, and he's like, I have had classes in how to be <laughs> magnanimous to worshippers. Yes, um, yes, and is just going to ask for some Darjeeling. He nods, and you see he he just points over at another teapot and just goes, Shizubi. And then he <laughs> passes the teapot, and then he kind of like composes himself, and he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. and you, Miss Godwin, what can I get you? Do you have a jasmine by any chance? He thinks about it for a second. He's twirling his, his huge, beautiful mustache, and he's twirling it, and he goes, Yes, 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 yes. And then he see he goes to the final teapot and he goes, Shazoopy! And then he pours you the final. I, I don't know why I keep expecting it to be something different, but it's just not. <laughs> it's his magic word, Shazoopy. <laughs> but he, he hands Gren the teapot. And then finally he settles in his own chair and it's like a and all of you kind of like go up a little bit. Like the whole room kind of bounces a bit when he sits down and the table jumps and all of you jump in your chairs. And he goes, so my friends, what can I help you with? I take out the journal. He takes it and you, you see he adjusts his monocle. And when he does, there's runes and all the runes light up around the monocle. And you see he closes one eye and then you see that his eye almost looks like it duplicates. Like it looks like there are two more eyes in the monocle. And then he looks at the page for like one or two seconds and then he closes it. And he looks at you and he says, this is in Therapaxian. This language has been dead for a very, very long time, Atlas. But this this ink looks fresh. You having correspondence with uh, someone else? Should I be jealous? Are you with a different sort of linguist these days, old friend? <laughs> well, don't worry. I, of course, I saw the language, and I knew that the only person who was alive when it was written was you, but... <laughs> and he leads... Oh! <laughs> now then. <clears throat> this is the Journal of Sol Solaris. We got it from, from his sister... Uh, Luna Solaris. Sadly, she she's no longer with us, but uh, we still have this, and we're trying to get to the bottom of it. He flips through the pages, and uh, you see his his monocle is still doing its thing, and he's reading a lot of it, and he's going through, and he says, "Very interesting." Oh, there's oh, oh, my good, and oh, and then he looped it. Oh, clever! You clever little. Bugger. Just muttering it to himself like that until he goes through the entire journal. And he just says, you know, Atlas, if you just wanted to give me a virtually unbreakable code in a dead language, you could have just asked me to understand my ex-wife. <laughs> I have never been married. I'm married to my work. <laughs> Apologies. That was... Very uncouth. He says that exclusively to Cassandra and then continues. <laughs> Cassandra's just like quietly giggling into her tea, trying to like remain like stoic, stoic and trying not to de decorous, decorous, break decorum. Yes. <laughs> yep. 
I'm just taking heavy sips of whiskey at this point. (laughs) (laughs) But um, he looks it over and he says, Well, I could break it. I could. It's not... uh... It's not impossible, but the existence of it in the dead language to then translate it back into English and then try to go from there is... Just writing it out in English alone would be too much. I'm not sure where to even begin on that front. Even losing some of the basic grammar and syntax from the translation would cause a great deal of the code to degrade in and of itself. Whoever... Atlas, whoever wrote this is smarter than me. Well, that's not saying much. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that may be the case, but still, you're the smartest person I know. Uh, So, if he could give it a shot. He thinks about it and he says, (laughs) Cassandra's looking at him with her most pleading puppy dog eyes. (laughs) And he looks at that and he goes, Right, I suppose I could give it a look. I'd be signing bloody permission forms all day long. And he he starts looking through it again and he goes, By any chance, do you happen to have any other copies, duplicates, even uh, if you've already begun on a translation? Yes. (laughs) He looks over at Cassandra and he looks over like in the sense of just like almost like when you're the teacher calls your name in class, but it's your favorite teacher, but you weren't expecting to be called on where it's just like, oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Uh, so Cassandra pulls out from her deep in her cloak, pulls out a copy of the journal that she's been working on that is a direct translation into English of the code and passes it over. And this is pages and pages and pages. And he looks at it and he looks at you and there is now unshakable iron faith in you like that. It's, it's done like, because one of the biggest things about the speaker is that they can interpret any language and having this here. And you see, he kind of goes back and forth between the notes and it is perfect. And he's just kind of flummoxed aghast, just does not understand. And he, he's quiet for a moment. And then he says, well, uh, yes. Yeah. Well, I, I can begin on this. Uh, and obviously, there's no cipher, so I will do the best I can. But Atlas, you need to understand, this this could take me weeks. Even having this complete write-out and trying to accomplish it, this could we- possibly months, depending on how far in we go. I've only barely scratched the surface on this, and already I'm... Ugh, I've no idea who coded this, but there... Something else. Well... Mr. Solaris, whatever you are, I hope I can return you your journal someday. For now, I hope you can finish your breakfast, but excuse an old man, I'm going to get to work on this right away. Uh, you are welcome to stay here as long and Yes, Atlas, what is it? Oh, uh, one other thing that you might be able to help us with, and uh, I look over, the camera pans over to my crew, dressed in dirty uh, rags <laughs> from... <laughs> The from the engine room. <laughs> Ain't nothing wrong with my rags. <laughs> <laughs> and Bottom goes, certainly not now that you got the Ganecta Zinc fixed. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I didn't think you were funny before, but that was a good one. That was a really good one. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> he kind of looks at Atlas and he just goes, 
I am not a tailor, but I can give you directions to one and a tab. Perhaps one that will be discreet. You can see, for a second there, he heard the voice of a young person who was stating something incredibly obvious while he was in the middle of a lecture, and he got very, very, very annoyed. And then he saw that it was Cassandra. And you see, he was just like, yes, of course, Mistress Speaker. I really hope the mistress was heard in that one. But he goes and he says, you may finish your breakfast and leave whenever you like. And Wait, I'm sorry, one more thing. Do you have any books on aeronautics? And he looks up. And uh, he looks around the room and you see there's actually a shocking lack of books. And you see he taps his monocle and he just says, I grew out of books a long time ago, son, but uh, the library should be able to help you. Now, good day. And he draws the curtains on his office and you hear he's like chuckling to himself like, oh, my. Oh, that is clever. <laughs> like he's just like giggling to himself. <laughs> Quite the charmer. I'd say to Atlas. <laughs> Believe it or not, he's also eight feet tall. <laughs> <laughs> no, so before we leave, like as we're like packing up our stuff, I kind of like, I don't know, knock on his curtain. I don't know how to, how to like. You see, he doesn't, he just goes, it opens. <laughs> <laughs> and Suri, Suri opens it and immediately like pulls it behind her so that no one else is in the conversation. She looks at him, and she goes, I'm sorry to bother. First of all, thank you so much for inviting us into your home. I very much appreciate it. But I couldn't help but notice the state of the city as we walked through it. And the state of your college as we walked through it. He sets down the pen he was working on and uh, he, he looks up at you. And uh, you see in his eyes a man who is about to engage in a debate that he has won many times. And he looks at you and he says, if you have something to say, Captain, I suggest you say it so I may get back to the work that I have offered to do for you and your friends free of charge. And I very much appreciate that. I would like to say that this work might save the entire world. So I think that's kind of an important thing you're doing. For free, might I add. I was just wondering, do you do anything for the people below you? I understand how important education is. I understand that the college is what keeps us going. But walking through that city and then coming upon your beautiful gardens and your stunning architecture made me wonder, where is all this money coming from? The church. And are you in any correlation with the church to help the people below you? Or is it a completely separate dynamic completely? He, he thinks about it for a second and he says, Why did you take the job for Atlas and Guinevere originally? It was just a job. Then why weren't you here? You had your job to do. You were on your fancy flying airship. Surely if you truly wish to help the people of the city, you could sell the Gaia site. Powering it. Surely that could renovate homes, build shelters, get education, medicine, get that consistently moving, potentially even escort several people out. But instead you were, for all intents and purposes, a chauffeur. You're not wrong. And I'm not trying to fight with you. I'm trying to understand. But my thing is, I'm one person. You're an entire collective of educators. And he holds his hand and he goes, I represent 
an entire collective of educators, first and foremost. Second of all, I represent a collection of educators from every corner of Saranel. Every level of education, every economic status, several noblemen, several people were beggars on those very streets before they came in here. You must understand that the greatest asset and the greatest curse of academia is bureaucracy. And there is only so much that I can do to actively assist others. Now, what the church and the academy both do, Hallowed Academy and mine, is less than I'd like, but more than you'd think. He reaches into his desk and you see he pulls out a ledger that's bigger than your head. And he slides it in front of you. And as you flip through it, it's charity donations and it's setting up jobs and it's medical tents and it's going around there and he's doing a lot of that. But also you see there are a few, you recognize coven signs and you recognize a handful of names of your contacts. And those are done very carefully in Barnabas's handwriting and with nowhere else. And then he he kind of pulls the file back and uh, he says, I have been the oppressor. I know his mind and I would seek to break the cycle in which I am a part of. I would seek to educate everyone. And yes, I do so from a seat of ivory. I do so from atop the most opulent city our civilization has ever known. But I am doing all that I can in assistance of those others. But Captain, you must also understand, the water level rising has never been seen in Saranel. Ever. Those masses outside that door are lying this long and desperation this intense has not been seen since the Leviathan War. Two thousand years. Bureaucracy can only accommodate that which it has been foreseen. It can only accommodate that which it has been designed around. These times are unprecedented. I am doing what I can, so you'll forgive the infrastructure in which I do it in. And Sari looks at him, and she's been smiling this whole time. She is not, she's just been listening and smiling, and she looks at him and she goes, I appreciate you speaking with me, and I appreciate your explanation. And looking through your ledger, yes, I do see that you're doing something. But a wise man once said that history repeats itself. So to be so completely unprepared for something of this scale, it makes you wonder, doesn't it? Does history learn from itself? Or does it just allow it to keep repeating? He just kind of looks at you and then out of nowhere it's just, <laughs> And he leans forward again and he says, Oh, Captain, if you have any idea how many times I've paraded that exact argument in Parliament. <laughs> and Suri holds out her hand and she goes, I can only imagine. His enormous hand takes you almost like a part of your forearm. Like he's huge. <laughs> and he he shakes your hand and he says, um, Captain, it's a matter of days, perhaps, before the match is struck. Not today, not tomorrow, but soon. And I need you to promise me that you will keep the speaker safe. 
takes a deep breath and is he still holding her like china and yeah, so no, she he has not okay. let go He's, okay yeah so suri takes her other hand on like puts it on top of his ginormous ginormous hand and goes i can't promise things but i will do everything within my power to keep her safe like i said i'm only one person he gives a nod and it's like a it's like a fencer's nod of just like point received well done and he shakes it then you see he raises his hands and he just goes Shazubi! and then you scoot out of his office and the curtains close again <laughs> incredible <laughs> do we want to do the trip to the tailor i want to do one more thing while i'm here real quick yes i want to go back to the old digs mm-hmm. there's something i got to find uh, so I'm going to go through all like the the doors that's kind of how they do the oh wow there's so many I have no clue how there are all these rooms mm-hmm. and I find my old office what is your office decorated with the door is decorated with a big old map you can see like all like it's like a black and white map however unlike all those other patea centric maps my map is centered on Uskar <gasps> yeah it's like blue where all the land is and it's like all these black, you know, land masses. But Uskar I is like colored in. Mm. And like I have handwritten like here's the capital and here's where I was. And here's this. Like it's kind of, it's a very personal thing. And as I open the door, um right by the door is a uh is a candle and uh as I open the door, uh, I can just lean in and light my cigarette. <laughs> <laughs> if anyone who's here with me is uh you see my old digs and um i'm gonna make a deep cut reference to the people specifically in this room and then i'm going to explain it to the readers okay if you've ever seen michael laswell's office <laughs> that's atlas white's office yeah so atlas white has an office that's frankly like a pretty reasonably sized office however on every wall there are books it's bookshelves and some of them are like properly stacked bookshelves, but others are like have books like on their sides. Some of them have binders with pages all all out of them. He has a desk that's been messy since day one. It <laughs> came in messy. And he kind of makes a little way to his desk and he opens up a couple of the drawers and then they reach under and uh, hit a little switch and a small a smaller drawer comes out and he uh, picks up a little black notebook, and uh, the little black notebook just says uh, Leviathan War. He says, uh, you know, I was going to need this eventually. And he puts it right in his jacket pocket. Not to be confused with the little black book of Sylphs. I have so many black books, dude. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Okay, is there anything anyone else would like to do in the scene? Do we okay, okay so, so this sounds like we're wrapping up here. Do we want to do the trip to the tailor? Do we want to be at the tailor? Do we just want to skip to after that? Well, what's the bucket list? Like what's on our agenda? You said there were three places we were trying to to get to. There are three contacts that you have in the city. There's Barnabas Glass and you officially docked off the main story mission, but Garrett said to you that if you needed friends and a safe place to hang out, you should go to either Oliver Ronan, who is the leader of a powerful cell in the coven, or Eric Vern, who is a nobleman and a member of parliament. Those are the two people that you should call on. Eric and Oliver. Okay. Just as a word of advice, Eric is going to be a lot easier to find. 
So, like, you can poke around trying to find Oliver, and especially y'all of Coven context, so it's not going to be impossible. Oh. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. How? Does... But you are also in a big city where Gwen's dad yeah. has a lot How of influence. does Gwen feel about poking around a bunch of Coven contacts to find a member of the Coven? A leader. Of the Coven. I think she feels a little nervous about it. Me and Suri could also do that. True. Gwen doesn't have to go. True. This could be a split. I mean, I'm not trying to split the party, but this could be one of those situations where we let a couple people take the lead on certain Mm -hmm. situations. Well, you guys could stay in the college if you want. It seems like a safe enough place. Barnabas seems well taken care of. He seems like he's on our side. Trustworthy guy. You guys stay here. Me and Suri can... Meet some people that we know, you know, and find our contacts, and then we'll have a heading. That could work. How's everyone else feeling? How are you feeling, Mr. GM? Where, where, where would you think? Where do, you, where do you think we should be nudged towards? Oh, oh, darling. <laughs> this time, you have paths. Oh, no. But what's the good one? <laughs> Thank you for listening to A Troop of Players, an actual play podcast. Featuring the talents of Tatiana Bustamante, Michael Jones, Alex Coza, Tyler Lynch, Chris McLean, and Sharon Ray Ryan. Editing for this episode was provided by Mitchell Shire. Our logo was designed by Coleman Cannell. Fabula Ultima is developed by Rooster Games. It is scheduled for release in 2022 and will be published by Need Games. This podcast uses playtest materials and may not reflect the official rules upon release. The setting and characters of this podcast should not be considered canon for any official Fabula Ultima content. For more information on the game, please visit www.needgames.it or www.fabulaultima.com. That's F-A-B-U-L-A-U-L-T-I-M-A dot com. If you would like to support the development of Fabula Ultima, go to www.patreon.com slash roosteremma. That's patreon.com slash roosterema.com. Reach out to us on Instagram or TikTok for more information on the cast, crew, or lore of the game at a troop of players, or send us an email at a troop of players at gmail.com. That's at A T R O U P E of players.